Now this is podcasting. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast, where we continue our Mandalorian journey. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Anthony Canton III, along with my two buddies and fellow co-hosts, Jake Christie and Jerome Chang. Jake, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, You know, uh, last time I was was distracted with election anxiety, uh, and, you know, obviously I don't have it anymore. you know, just now, now it's just potential coup anxiety, but that's different. Uh, but anyway, I should just add before I stop speaking, Mando. <laughs> awesome. And Jerome, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. Not too bad. Not too bad. And um, today we are covering chapter 10, which is The Passenger, directed by Peyton Reed, funnily enough. I uh, I found out uh, in my note-taking and... Um, so it was interesting. It had a little bit of a, a little bit of an Ant Man vibe towards the end there with the spiders. We'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but just to kind of give a quick recap, to start off, Mando and the child are riding through the Tatooine desert. Uh, a trap was laid for them by bounty hunters. It was a fun opening scene. Uh, Mando being triple and quadruple teamed and taking out dudes. Um, he, he gets to the last dude and the dude has a has a knife to uh, the child and Mando gives up his jetpack, which we which at least uh, we thought, but there was a nice little uh, surprise as uh, the jetpack uh, <laughs> is activated and the and one of the bounty hunters uh, goes up in the air and falls down very uh, uh, comedically is comedically perfect and I I think that's like the basis of what uh, a lot of this episode was. There was a lot of funny stuff uh, um, in this episode. So as we go along, uh, what did, what did you guys think about the opening scene? Uh, Jerome, I'll start with you. Um, it, no, it was, it was a fun action moment that ended off on some, like you said, good physical comedy. I don't think any of us thought that, you know, the child was going to be in any real danger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just exciting to see how exactly he would get out of it. But once the jetpack got taken, I was like, oh, bad idea. You already mm-hmm. know something's not going to happen. But yeah. I, I actually appreciate that they went there, that they went full cartoonish and shot him straight mm-hmm. in the air because uh, I didn't know that they were going in that direction. I thought it might be a rocket situation. It might be something that would knock him out. But shooting him straight in the air and have him drop off is perfect. Yeah, I think it was really, a, a really good fight. It was a lot of fun. Especially, like, especially, even the bit where uh, before the jetpack bit, where Mando uses his like grappling gun to grab the gun from a guy and use it to knock out two enemies at once. Like, I think that that's really where you get, were getting someone like a Peyton Reed who did you know the two Ant Man movies, where which are so much of the value of those movies is using like weird powers and gadgets to make fight scenes funny is like a very specific thing that Ant-Man has. And it's very clear that in that scene, he's using a lot of that. Like, I mean, like in playing with that uh, and just how cartoonish you just think about the Thomas, the tank engine, like fight, right. Mm-hmm. When they shrink and are playing. Exactly. On, like, yeah. Like that kind of comedy, it, it really does match that tone. Yeah. And, and it clearly he, you know, if you ever want a great thing I'd recommend is um, uh, the, I think it's, is it Vanity Fair who does the notes on a scene? A thing on YouTube where um, yes, those are really good. Where Peyton Reed did one for an Ant Man and the Wasp fight scene, and you can just tell like he clearly has a great sense of how to use, like you know, the choreography, uh, choreography, and, every- and also yeah. like how to bl- seamlessly blend like practical and special effects to do weird, fun stuff like that. And yeah, it's just very seamless, and it feels, it felt like I can, you can kind of tell it was a one off, but it was a fun way to enter the episode. And I'm glad that I, I really enjoyed the scene. Well, the blend of practical and special effects is something that is a balance that hasn't always been in favor of Star Wars, especially when you think about the prequels during that period. Mm-hmm. But finally, when they started kind of coming back into this world mm-hmm. of using more practical effects, it just looks way better. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm glad you shouted that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really, really cool to see. So after that scene, uh, obviously, we get the opening credits. And we go straight to Mando going back to seeing uh, Pelimoto 
uh, at the bar. She's playing. Uh, she's playing a little bit of a card game uh, with an ant alien-ish type of the type of, the, of uh, being, and that that was pretty fun. Amy Sedaris has been really cool. Um, Honestly, I am so shocked every time she comes back. It's like I thought this was just like John Favreau thinking it'd be fun to have Amy Sedaris in it for one episode. And it's like, oh no, she's in like she has like the third most screen time in the show, in the actor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she she really has that. Um, like the, I'm, at least so far, they've really built her as she has been someone to send him on his way on his mm-hmm. mission to help kind of push things forward. Uh, but in a really fun way, just kind of a bit of a foil for him. Um, and it also, I think, in their interactions, we're starting to see Mando loosen up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's yeah. so sweet. <laughs> yeah, like she, she really like is. She's just, like, I think it's funny you use the word "send you on," send him on his way, because I think in a story like this. Like a bounty hunter, that so, sounds inherently so it's like a nefarious character. Like, oh, he's the one who sent them away. He's like, you, I mean, she might at some point, but at no point in any of their interactions, it, there was even a shadow of doubt in my mind that she might double cross him or something. Like, she's just like, this at worst. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, she's just like, she doesn't have time to be double crossing. She's just, you know, uh, trying to make it right. I think she's great. Yeah. She's pretty tremendous. And um, so, so eventually Mando gets a, gets a tip. Uh, about another Mandalorian on a moon called Trask. And in order to do this, he has to take a uh, frog lady, we'll just call her. Uh, no specific species is being mentioned. A frog lady and her babies. Uh, Can I just say in a the quick thing about eggs. Trask, by the way? I don't yeah. know I don't know exactly why, but Trask, I imagine has to be named after, or maybe it's just a coincidence, is that, remember in the Knights of the Old Republic game, this is just, a, I'd never actually played it. Both my brothers played it, but we had a running joke because I guess, it, I guess the game begins with like this, your base getting like raided or whatever and your roommate in like your Jedi training camp or whatever uh, gets killed and his name is Trask. But like, that's not important at all. And like two thirds of the way through the game, you meet the henchman that killed your roommate. And I remember that my brothers would just do it, have it would, thought it was the funniest in the world that one of the options of what you could say to him was, hey, you killed Trask. Because this is like, 10 hours of gameplay after it's like who the hell is trask why am i so bad about him killing trask anyway my point being that's how i remember that there's a character named trask so perhaps this planet is named after him since that's the old republic any uh wikipedia heads out there you can back me up on that but i just wanted to throw that out there (laughs) yeah definitely and um it's funny so my first thought when mando had to do this and obviously he was pretty dismayed at having to do this was do you guys believe that she actually has a tip or is do you think Mando's being taken for a ride? Mm, Jerome, oh, I'll go first because uh, Jerome's still muted. I was like, yeah, wait, Jerome's still go first. Uh, that uh, I think that she probably has um, some type of info that, but like that's not, that's going to turn out not actually being that helpful, if that makes sense. Like that she, I don't think she's lying about her husband having seen Mandalorians, but I think it's not going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be something that's, that's going to disappoint him. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be that when they get there, the husband's going to be like, yes, there were Mandalorians, but they left and they didn't say they were going, or I thought I saw Mandalorians, <laughs> but it was actually someone else. Um, yeah. I think that's probably that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm with Jake on that one. I mean, when you think about her situation, she'll say anything to get to where she needs to go. There's that. And I think just for the sake of how the show is in general, it's not going to be straightforward. Nothing on the show is going to be straightforward. Right. So uh, I I don't think there's a double cross similar to Amy Sedaris's character. I don't see anything by way of real deception, but definitely everyone has their own kind of self-serving game that they'll need um, to move forward for themselves and therefore are willing to offer up things that would be enticing, but not necessarily on the level. See, I'm glad you brought up that point about things not being straightforward because it seemed to be that there was a lot of complaint from not only the internet, but people who review the show in terms of, huh, this was, this was a come down, this is a little too slow, this not a lot going on, we're not advancing the plot. And I mean, if you've watched the show to this point, the show has taken its own time to do these types of things. And I do feel like there is a instant gratification uh, mentality that has permeated the whole TV watching uh, element. 
And it's almost as if we need this right now. And I, and, and I think part of um, people who watch Star Wars probably watch, you know, other comic book type things, Marvel and stuff like that. And usually this is connected to this and this leads to this and it's always something else. But this show has pretty much proven throughout its run to this point that it kind of goes from point A, there's a, there's a digression. We get to point B at some point. Yeah. And then we get to point C at some point. And I don't, I myself don't mind it because it's different than what I've been used to watching. Actually, I, and, th- I have an explanation of, I think, where the disconnect is. I think yeah. that it's, um, I think it's because if you're someone who is like any of our ages, your entire life you've been watching Star Wars, there's been a treasure trove of information for you to dive into. And so if you were ever, there's never a point if you were like watching Star Wars episode four or five where you couldn't get information on like this character or this planet or whatever. And so I think that if you are raised on Star Wars and all the Star Wars content, all the knowledge forever is at your fingertips the whole time, when there's something new, a new series that all the answers aren't already on Wikipedia or whatever, that I think it's kind of like, I want to know. I think that so many people consume Star Wars as just like accumulation of lore, but like that's not how TV or movies even work. Like, it's not all there already. And so I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you binge a TV show for the first few seasons and then you catch up and you're like, how do people just wait every week for an episode? I think that that's what it is with people who are Star Wars fans where it's like, I could get, consume all the Star Wars information in the world, but now I have to consume it at a weekly pace when they want to tell me. That's unfair. So I think that that's- Well, I mean, all those, it's the final seasons of Game of Thrones, right? And it's, um, and it's even, you know, kind of where we're heading with MCU too, where they aren't there, they will be stories that do exist, but they aren't the most familiar or the most uh, mainstream, at least even with a uh, comic view, uh, comic followers. So uh, it's an exciting time to be in that, uh, I would say. And kind of to your point about structurally, it kind of goes back to, I, I mentioned it last weekend. I honestly, when I listened back and thought about it, um, I kind of just happened on to it by, accident but mentioning the anime connection and specifically that show that i like samurai shampoo their show was completely put together on three characters that weren't ever intended on coming together finding each other through some level of fate and then each episode it was far simplified it was fun but they were always just dirt broke and poor so every episode they just needed money to get food so it was always about whatever they could to could do to get food. And it just led them into a different adventure. But then you started getting into each of their backstories, uh, things from their respective passes and each given episode would catch up with them and that would move things forward. But structurally, it, it actually does remind me a lot of uh, what's going on in this season with Mandalorian, where there is one certain goal. In this case, it's a larger thing of finding more Mandalorians to bring baby Yoda to uh, his species, I guess, or family. And along the way, it's these small things that are supposed to drive it forward, but very rarely is it getting them directly to where they want, but in a roundabout way. I mean, it's a lot like a main quest in a video game. I mean, how many video games is it like, it's like, you need to kill a dragon at the end of the game and you need to like, you need a certain sword and it's like i could give you the sword but i'm having so much trouble like you know with there's an ogre that terrorizes the town and no one's been able to kill it so i'll give you the sword if you can kill the ogre (laughs) if mandalorians were access keys to doors that were locked like this is what we're dealing with right now and i think and i think the funny thing about that is we get the bounty hunters at the beginning so it's pretty clear that the story from season one is continuing and who knows if uh, moff gideon is is about that and um and that still has that connection so relax guys take the time they're they're trying to tell us a story and um i I do appreciate that they are actually taking the time to do that um so as we continue on so they they get on the ship they're riding through and we get the the really fun stuff with baby yoda and the eggs uh oh really fun killing babies i'm I'm glad i mean listen i it was funny thank you for bringing that up jake because there is a certain level to that where bless baby yoda the cutest creature known to fiction discipline your children Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. It's really really just like, and even more than that, it's like, you know what? I think that, yes, discipline your children. And I think that, I, I like to think that my parents are very good at teaching me and my brothers right and wrong. And that, you know, we were very well-behaved kids to a fault, in my opinion. But even then, my mom could tell me a million times, don't put your finger in the, uh, like, the outlet this electric socket yeah and it, i might i might have listened to her but you know what she also did just in case she put the little covers over it when i was a kid she didn't trust me why is mando just letting baby Yoda still have access to that jar of babies <laughs> like yes just blame your kid but also just like be smart to be like okay he's a baby he's probably not gonna listen to me for the sake of these i don't know unborn children <laughs> i'm gonna there's also this level of does baby yoda really comprehend what's going on i hope not because if they don't answer that question children (laughs) right right unfertilized eggs unfertilized eggs yeah i definitely don't think he is for sure Um, it it just reminded me it reminded me so much of mando saying don't touch that it just reminds me of dealing with my own son and and how that goes and it's like it and it's like I think about my about growing up and the things I used to do uh, as a kid. There's a lot of stuff I even remember I used to do, like getting into yeah, things, see, and jumping do you have off those, of things. Do you have those? Do you have those plug sockets that I'm talking about? No, we actually the, don't. Like, but we did put on. We we did put a uh, because most of the time he's not. He, he's better a better kid he, than me. Well, he's um <laughs> he usually he's not interested in that. But the we had to get a door cover. Because now he reaches up and can literally open the door almost. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's only like, he's only 18 plus months. So it's like, geez. But for, for that particular thing, you have to. But I don't know if there's really a fail safe for um, an egg jar. So, um, I mean, I, just bring it up to the mother and say, I, like, hey, really, me, I'm eye. actually not really mad at Mando as much as the mother who I feel at some point realizes what's going on seems surprisingly yeah. cool about her children just being eaten. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on. And like, there's definitely, yeah, I, I there's so many jokes I want to make that, you know, I, I won't about like <laughs> whether about like whether people could say that Disney is trying to have propaganda by having a, if a, it'd be a laugh line that a character eats unborn babies. That's anyway, anyway there definitely is jokes oh. to be made there. I, I'm just wondering where there's, the saturation there are, there are, is. There are jokes there. I'm sorry. When, when exactly do you call baby Yoda out? Because this is an episode where baby Yoda is eating unborn babies and also basically creates and you'll get to it when you're going through the plot summary the immediate danger that they face for the remainder of the episode that's true but he was hungry so that's i'll get to give him but he was hungry right (laughs) you know (laughs) and and at what point did we forgive it i mean he's so darn cute though i know he's he's so much he really is and he just kept after it and i felt i i felt it for man i felt for mando in that situation because like when you when you just like tired and you want to sleep i just love that he got the hands folded i was thinking i was thinking of you because you tweeted about how because i watched it tonight because i wanted to be fresh um, that you tweeted about how you were related to Mando because of being a washed dad. And when he did the thing where he just leaned back and folded his arms to sleep, and I'm like, I know damn well that AC was washing that. It's like, sometimes I wish I could just do that. I, I feel, I don't know if you have since purchased a Mando costume, but we do know a few years back you had owned a T'Challa costume. And I could see you doing that, just sitting on your couch at home and just being like, this is it. I'm done That's here. It. It's, it's a real thing. Like when they're grabbing stuff and when they're just, and they don't like, they refuse to listen to anything that you're saying at the time. Sometimes you just, sometimes you just throw your hands up and then you just like this. Um, and <laughs> you know what's, can I ask if Josiah's yeah. gone here yet? Like one of the most terrifying things I ever saw when it came to babies, uh, I don't have one myself, but ones that I've encountered is not when they learn to speak, but when they learn the word no. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. I just remember asking in the most calm way, uh, like, ah, it seems like it's pretty late. Do you want to go to bed? No. I'm like, I don't know how to reason with this small creature. There's a lot of head shakes. No one knows yet. They're coming. Like he says a lot of jarbled stuff. Uh, no okay. So he, he yet, knows but, to dis- yeah. he knows he doesn't have he, to He comply. shakes the head though when he doesn't want something. All right. So. All right. Yeah. All right. So that's already um, I, that's I already had a cousin coming. who was definitely a, a, a much younger cousin who when she learned the word no, it was really... Uh, a problem and some might argue it's still a problem you know it, 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 you, you could make the argument i mean okay she's much younger so she's only like eight or nine now but still anyway 
But yeah, but yeah I, I like I know this is skipping ahead, but that's the difficult and heartwarming thing with Baby Yoda. I got increasingly frustrated with him throughout the episode for the trouble that he caused the rest of the team. And then on that final scene where he eats another egg, I was like, ah, <laughs> guy, a guy, I love him. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So as they, as they continue on, um, so they're writing, they're writing in space and um, eventually, well, one, one thing I should say is there's very, there's not a lot of speaking in this episode. Once uh, they leave Pelimoto, because obviously the frog speaks, frog whatever language he speaks and Mando only speaks um, a couple of different types of languages so there's not a lot of uh, dialogue uh, between the two of them but eventually as they're riding in space they come across two X-wing uh, jets which was uh, cool to see uh, the Republic uh, showed up asking where they were going uh, Mando tried to uh, get his way by and sneak by uh, as uh, quickly as he could but that didn't work out, and he made a break for A-cab. it. I just want to say that, A-cab. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, as they, as they ride to this very uh, dark, uh, snowy uh, planet, remind me of the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back. I yelled Hoth. I was like, Hoth? Yeah. And then, but I, I mean, like, they never explained what it really was, I, but it's okay. Yeah, is it, it bad been, that any time... would have been oh, too much, yeah. Anytime I hear Hoth, I think of the Family Guy parody movie joke of Hoth... They should call it cold anyway. <laughs> and by the way, in our in our um, they should as e- as two Easter eggs, the two fi- fighter pilots, uh, one of them was Mandalorian producer, writer, and director Dave Filoni, and uh, the other one That's was Paul's son, Young Lee, uh, from a, a show called Kim's Convenience. Kim's I don't really know that show. Yeah, shout out Canadian television. Yeah, that's like I, I, that and that and Letterkenny are the two Canadian shows I know. Obviously, Shit's I mean, Creek is also, also Canadian, started, but still. Um, wait, isn't Simu Liu also in that? Who yes, started, he yes, is. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So there's um, our connection. The thing I like about the Mandalorian is this thing I've long held is that I know that you need to give young actors a start and stuff like that, and I get it, yada yada yada. But I'm of the opinion of like every role in something should be played by someone I recognize, even if it's not an actor. Like if there's like a person at a convenience store who has like one line, make it like this, you know, third string running back on a football team. Like why the hell not? Like be fine. why not just give it to, and that's the thing about the Mandalorian. It's like every speaking part, like not every, but most of the speaking parts is like, is that like, or the beginning is like, is that Horatio Sands in like a full rubber suit? I guess so. Why not? Anyway. Yep. No, no, no. I'm with you. Uh, I, I think I was distracted for the longest time. I haven't actually watched Kim's Convenience myself, but for the rest of the episode, I was just like, no, he's definitely from Kim's Convenience. I got to check that after the episode. And I never did. So thank you for confirming that. Oh, right. I, I do see. just need to say, I need to, I said that the only Canadian shows I know are Letterkenny, Schitt's Creek, and Kim's Convenience. I do also know Rookie Blue because that's on ABC during the summers. And so I, I had to, <laughs> I had to add that. Well, nonetheless, uh, the pilots connect Mando to a prison break he helped stage on the New Republic transport back in Chapter 6. And then the X-Wing locks on the Razor, uh, Razor's crest position. And, um, he, you know, Mando gives them the slip, but uh, he does... Uh, he does space they fight. do have a, got a space very, fight. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> space fight. And um, they have a bumpy landing which leads to them uh, being in this really icy patch, which breaks under them. The ship falls, the hull breaks, the ship is uh, messed up. And um, and it's very cold. Uh, the frog lady disappears. Can I just say, uh, but can I just say, the, yeah. the way that this the chase scene is, looks and is produced, it is crazy how far the production level of TV shows has gotten. Oh, like, yeah. That Agreed. chase looks like a movie. And obviously this is one of the most expensive TV shows ever, but it's not like Game of Thrones level. And so I guess the thing is, I, I just, I'm just thinking about like how- What you see there, yeah. usually it in a, in a show, they're like, that's their season. Like they put all mm-hmm. their budget in that one episode of the season. Yeah. But this is commonplace for them and that. Yeah, and, and it, just, it just looks so good. And it's so thought out. I, I, it's just really mind blowing how I think that so much of sci-fi adventure storytelling has been hindered on television because inherently it needs to be grand. Like there can't really be like you can have small scale sci-fi, but it has to that has to be like the whole thing. 
And like some of my complaints, even though I love Doctor Who, it's sometimes clear that they can't really show as much as they want to show. But this is just like, oh no, we're gonna show the whole uh, space and chase and stuff like that. It's gonna look like a giant dragon, like a giant acid spinning dragon. And obviously, it's not as big, but like that chase scene is not. It's in the same ballpark as that chase scene inside the wreckage at the beginning of The Force Awakens, which is a three hundred million dollar movie. Yeah. Right. Right. And like it would, it feels like it's on the level with at least like some of the parts of a pod race. Anything to that uh, point? Now this is pod racing. Sorry, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> In another life, I would love to have seen uh, instead of Jake Lloyd, one Jake Christie play young Anakin. Wait, I, oh guys, I, I I cannot believe that I didn't say this instead. Now this is podcasting. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, if we could start the, the episode with that. Um, if you could just take that clean sound bite and put it at the top, like now this is podcast. Consider it done. It. Thank you, sir. Excellent, excellent. And um, you know, as uh, as Mando is trying to repair the ship, Frog Lady runs off with the eggs. She goes into this very cavernous, almost crypt-like place. She's no, it's chilling. cool that they landed in a Scandinavian spa. You know you, it reminded me, you remind me a really lot. Though. It reminded me a lot of the cave with the sauna where Jon Snow uh, mm, lost his virginity. Good shout. Good um, shout. Where he, what is it? What? Oh, crap. What's it? Is it the forbidden kiss that he gave? Uh, what's her face? I think it's what it's called. I'm not being gross. That's what I think they no, call no, no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which just like shows how the world of Game of Thrones is extremely chauvinistic that you just can't go down on a woman. Um, but I digress. Anyway, sorry, continue, continue. Yes, yes. Uh, nonetheless, um, so it's it feels like a spa. Frog Lady's chilling with the eggs. She's washing the eggs and Mando comes upon her. It's like, yeah, we got to get out of here, whatever. And then while Mando's uh, helping put the eggs back in the jar, uh, Baby Yoda, you know, comes across some other eggs. And uh, he takes one. I hate everything that happened for the next couple of minutes. It's like there's this really, you know, these uh, really long tentacle-like legs. Very alien vibes, obviously. I mean, obviously that's what they're going for. Um, and having, I watched the first two aliens early, like very early this year. And then I watched Prometheus for the first time like a month ago. So I was definitely like, dude, you don't go to anything that looks like they might be stones or might be eggs. You don't walk up to those. Like, just don't. It's just like kind of a rule of thumb. It's no, I, it's, it was terrifying. It was unnerving. Um, it kept on getting worse, which I hated. Now, at uh, least the bug looked tasty, according to Baby Yoda's reaction. Okay, but Baby Yoda eats everything. Now it's at a point where we're just trying to figure out what Baby Yoda won't eat. Um, But um, no, it. I I mean, like we're talking about big scenes. Like that scene's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like even to me, it's even more so than that space. uh, I agree, Chase. And um, again, the fact that this is on TV is or TV. I'm doing air quotes here. Uh, is just stupid. Like now, how lucky I wonder, we are right now. I wonder if I'm. If this scene reminded this the spider chase scene. I'm not the only one that felt. Not exactly because I don't want. I don't make it something I'm saying. I ripped it off, but felt unbelievably like the scene in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Am I wrong? Yeah. Like yeah, that, I that's. It felt yeah. like so yeah. reminiscent. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all because that's great. It's one of the better scenes yeah. of the movie. But like, though, especially the way that it starts off with a bunch of smaller spiders and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you realize, oh shit, there's a gigantic spider in the back and they get chased. Um, uh, obviously, uh, this one doesn't end with like the gigantic spider talking and being a nice guy, but still. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, it was really I, I'm with you on that. I think there is this thing too between that scene and last week with dragons. There's something very fun about this where those don't feel like Star Wars. No. And I like it. Honestly, it was a little bit of Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. in, in terms of the chase and the the spiders getting really close and mm-hmm. and him using the blaster and him using his uh, flamethrower thing, which is nice to see too. That was a nice touch. It also, this is just because this, I don't know why. I saw this movie like three times when I was like eight. It reminded me a lot of the movie Eight-Legged Freaks, which is not a good movie, but it is right. about big spiders. Right. <laughs> Uh, a little Starship Troopers too, maybe. Uh, yep, yep. A little bug yeah. hunting. There's that. A little there. Stranger Things too, with the way that they yeah. were, yeah, the I'll way that they that. looked. But yes, I think awesome. the, the key of Peyton redirecting this episode is that 
Peyton Reed, if anything, he knows how to make a ma- a mass of bugs. Well, spiders are not yes. bugs, but follow me. Right. Uh, make a mass of bugs moving be visually interesting and kinetic in a way that it doesn't feel like. Because like I think that if like the, with the mummy movies, for example, when all the scarabs are running on like the walls, it feels just like there's like a sheet walking on the wall. Like it feels like a solid layer of just blackness covering the walls. Whereas this, like you feel every individual spider. You yep. say it, it, they all look, it, it just, it, 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 there's just a feeling like this guy clearly knows what he's doing. And I'm actually, it's kind of funny that he did this. Cause I imagine that part of him is probably like, oh, I mean, I want to direct a Star Wars thing. And it's like, okay, great. <laughs> so you're going to do a thing where you have to make bugs look cool. It's like, shit, man, that's what I did. It's been the last three years doing that. But uh, I think it really <laughs> comes in handy. Cause it, re- it just, it, it just look, it looks so much more interesting than like, cause I think so many times uh, bugs chasing people can look, can almost be like a wave. When like it's like no, these are individual creatures. Yeah. You know? Also, I, I think, think the fact I that they're varied sizes helps too. Yeah. Ex- that's exactly to uh, to your point there. The varied sizes really help. There's a brilliant planning and again, kind of choreography, not just in the movement of characters, but just like in the space. Uh, and it goes back to kind of how we're noticing Peyton Reed directs action. You get a full sense of the environment of what they're walking through. How the giant spider leaves the scene but comes back in at points and it just how that chase builds and at any given moment either some of the smaller spiders doing something or some of the larger ones too but it there, there's just such careful detailed planning in it that makes it such an exhilarating scene um that's really great i, I do have one question before we go deeper in the scene because uh, yeah. i'm wondering how you guys felt about it but right before baby yoda eats the spider did you have any point of thinking he might do a force thing because I, I kind of thought that you know i had wondered with the i had wondered with the eggs in the in the jar earlier it looked like when he was touching the jar that he was you felt it was like spiritual big... like you know all life yeah, is connected uh, and then I, yeah, was, baby i was like fuck life and you know, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, since we're you know i just have to admit this because you know uh i can't go any podcast without admitting something deep about not deep but like i was watching it and i'm like my thought when he first ate the egg is like is he later in the episode can like throw up a bunch of eggs and like he's fertilized nope, nope. them and it's like half it's, it's Yoda, very, half frog? I mean, speaking about aliens, that's exactly what I was going with. Every time I saw uh, baby Yoda have it, what uh, what appeared to be indigestion, I was like, oh, this is going to get freaky. And it's like, but, and, and also like, what is like, imagine then this frog lady shows up with these half Yoda, half frog people, babies. And it's like, no, 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 he ate them. I swear, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, the legality of uh, let's not go there. I Did swear to God, that's where my mind went. AC, I'm not trying to be gross. I swear that's where my mind went. Um, much yeah. like when I said I famously admitted on the Daredevil season three pod that I thought that Matt Murdock and the character that turned out to be a secret mother had sexual chemistry. <laughs> I, I mean, I these are I, I wouldn't say that. these if I didn't actually believe them. I remember that. Oh my goodness! Oh, Jake, you always bring it, man. I tell you that much. Thank you. <laughs> nonetheless but yeah this scene was really fun um it, it was really fun it was really scary it had the the, the the whole chase of it and it lasted a while too it was not like one of these two minute scenes that were done it was basically you know, uh, actually the duration of the episode scene, um one part of the chase that i really enjoyed was the first use of the flamethrower because it's kind of been this like really fun part but in this case when Mando uses the flamethrower, you don't see him do it. You just see the flash of light and them coming out of the area. And it's just yeah. like this kind of thing where you're like, ah, classic Mando using the flamethrower. And it just, it was a fun, interesting way of using it without having to show him still do this. And no one can see me do it except you two right now, like this spring across situation. So I really appreciate it. Just little bits like that in terms of how they built out the action. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously Mando... And uh, Frog Lady and Baby Yoda, they get back to the Razor's Crest. The spiders are just overwhelming the ship, and he's still shooting with the blaster, and they're coming through. Then the surprise, motherfucker! The huge, humongous one comes and starts squeezing the the ship. Well, and, no, and you, our heroes. You, I think the way it actually happens is like much more interesting. That <laughs> they're about to go up, and you're like, "Oh my god, they're free!" And then the giant one drops onto the ship as it's going up, which is like, "Oh, I was awesome." I, it was so cool. Like when it happened, I was like, "Oh shit, they're fucked now!" And then, oh, bad. It was fantastic. And then, yeah, fantastic. they put yeah the spider puts the device grip on, and you think it's about to be a wrap for our heroes. And then 
the two X-Wings show up and uh, blast. I don't mind that this production note comes after the fact, but Jake, if you don't mind plugging in earlier on when we talk about the spider coming in, uh, like a surprise motherfucker, if we could do that. Uh, What's kind of surprise from who? Isn't that from Dexter? I just remember the meme. Okay, I'll, I'll, I think it is. We'll look it up Anyway, I didn't watch Dexter. Sergeant Dokes, yeah. Thank Um, thank you, AC. (laughs) Yeah, Sergeant Dokes, he had a, he always had that line on deck. Um, I got, I got you. But but yeah, uh, what you, but yeah. So the the X wings come through and save save our heroes and and he and and they allow Mando to you go off do your thing. We're not gonna arrest you or anything, but we can just we're just gonna leave you here. So they they rolled out. They it was they cool left. Moment. Yeah, that that was fun. It was fun seeing that connection because the the reminder of the timeline that this was set after after Return of the Jedi. So the the X wings are part of the New Republic, and it's a uh, and they're running things right now. The, the light side is is uh, is handling business, so it was cool to see them uh, help Mando out. Now, what and, would it uh, be like if instead the X-wings are part of One Republic? Sorry, continue. <laughs> well, if they were, then Mando would be in trouble because they would just stop and stare. The, and and also Mando would be in trouble because he would be like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry," and they say, "It's too late to apologize." I think that's all the one Republic songs I can think of at the moment. But, Wait, what do you uh, say? I, Stop and oh, what counting stars the way they, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, that well, that's what they were doing prior to finding. <laughs> oh, right, right. Though, it's also kind of crazy that they had that song, counting stars, like ten years after Apologize. I could have sworn that they were completely out of the paint, and then somehow it's like One Republic has another song. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, final note on that: Timbaland voices one of the R two units. And oh, continue. why can't we make that happen? Get uh, Filoni on the horn. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, at this point, with the with the type of guest stars that they're getting, it's it's not it's not too far to see that we could get somebody like Timbaland on the show. Why not? Get help Baby Yoda do something. Absolutely. So so the episode ends uh, with with Mando basically repairing as much of the the Razor's crest as he can, and they fly off. Uh, and credits. Uh, so what did you guys think of this episode as a whole, Jake? Uh, what did you think of it as a whole? It was a fun, it was definitely like a clearly not, in the grand scheme of the season, it's probably not going to be an important episode. Um, but I think it was a fun episode, kind of just to show that like, I think that there's an interesting thing that this show can do, where since the characters in it are not like Jedi, and they're not part of the Jedi Council, and they're not important people, that like they can just go to a planet and it doesn't actually matter what it's called. They don't know anything about it. You don't have any information on it. That like, and it, it really just feels like a, like even more so than a Western, it feels like an Odyssey tale. And obviously the Odyssey is the quintessential Odyssey, but that's like a classic, classic of uh, old literature where characters would just like go to a new island like every chapter which is generally bad writing but if you do it well you know i I think it's just fun that it's like it doesn't actually matter what this planet is it doesn't matter what the it doesn't matter who's there what's it's just like this is just the 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 it really helps explore the vastness of the star wars universe that there could just be a planet that you've never heard of before that is very cold and just so happens to have giant spiders on it and it is what it is. And um, I think it really uh, kind of just, it, it, it was really nice for setting this, the, the place of the Star Wars universe, because um, this is just what Mando has to deal with, that you, sometimes you land on a planet and you almost get eaten by a spider. I think it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens with this frog lady, because while we were doing this episode, I double checked just to make sure that the frog lady is not the same species as Admiral Akbar, and she is not. So it's a different, she's, uh, what are they? The bon, bon, Mon Calamari, I think is what Adam Lackbar is because George Lucas is an idiot. Is it Calamari? The, no, it's Mon Calamari, I believe is the it's name. Uh, I'm like 95% sure French about that. for my Calamari. Yeah, it's, yep, they're the Mon Calamari. That's the name of Al, Admiral Lackbar's species, which look like uh, fish, which is fun. But yeah, there, she's not a Mon when Calamari. When you send Mon Calamari to that uh, specific planet, they are referred to as ceviche. Ah, duh. <laughs> You know, it's actually crazy that you would think that Mon Calamari, like they look like fish, obviously, but a lot of times if you get them at a cheap restaurant, you know, just pig anuses. I, I, I honestly just zoned out and thought about fried calamari from the Cheesecake Factory. Honestly, That's fried calamari I, from the Cheesecake Factory, probably pig anuses. I don't mind, I mean, but probably. That's what happens when probably. you do blow I don't know if you know about that. You, you you're looking at me surprised. I'm not making that up. That a lot of places that serve fried calamari, it's actually pig anus. 
That's a real thing. I mean, at the end of the day, would it really matter to me? Nah, no, not really. No, oh, not at all. I don't care. It's big. I mean, what that, when I, when that, when that, when that, when that story dropped, my reaction was, oh, wow, it's Jerome Quad. I saw what you just did, Jerome. Yeah. But my thought was like, okay, what that just tells me is that I really like pig anuses. Next. Anyway, sorry, Jerome, what, what did you go to the episode? Oh, man. I, uh, I, I, I I'm with it. you. <laughs> try, to, try to be serious about it. Um, I'm with you, Jake. It was a fun aside is what I would refer to it as. Uh, I, I am very into the idea across the last two episodes with these kind of auxiliary characters. And I wouldn't say like they're not going to be characters that appear, but types of characters. We have, you know, people who are part of the Republic. We had um, Tusken Raiders, Jawas, all these groups that we are familiar with in star wars but we got to see some more layers to them which is great i love the regularity of the star wars galaxy right now where it's just everyday life people just all have to go through it like that's great that a couple of guys need to duke it out with a bunch of light swords but you know i still need to make my paycheck right now so i i enjoy that <laughs> level of it i love the absolute misery that they're putting our hero through i like that i like that you know it's I, he's a serious badass but that ship can't hold up so i i love that element of it but um yeah you were talking about that scene with the them coming back and saving mando and then ultimately letting him go but not letting him go entire like not saving him and getting him out of there and i i do like it because there is like you said a callback to things he has done before and especially because it's in the context of star wars it feels like there's this kind of karmic balance of actions that he has taken before uh coming back to help him but then there's also this fun reality that feels less cosmic in star wars um where they're just like yeah but you know you're good from here on like we're gonna shoot these spiders for you but then like peace out you know deuces and i think just that extra layer and i think that's actually kind of been a problem um for some fans especially when you think of things like the last jedi where you're like oh this feels a little more grounded or it feels like a little more nuanced and I don't really know how other Star Wars fans feel about it, but for me, I really enjoy it. I love that these are full characters. Uh, I just want to say, I, I think that this is something I made known. Uh, I'm very much team The Last Jedi. Um, anyone, get in my DMs if you want to kill the past with me. Um, <laughs> Ryan Johnson is a visionary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Last Jedi was a great movie. Great movie. Not good movie, great movie. I'm with you on that. A hundred percent. One thing I wanted to mention about the episode, like, again, like I said earlier, sometimes, sometimes the standalone story is good. Um, I think they gave us a lot in the first episode in terms of not only guest star power, but just the Boba Fett reveal at the end was kind of like a huge harbinger. And, you know, we haven't seen Moff Gideon and what he's up to yet. So there's a lot of antagonists that I'm sure will play a part as this season goes forward. But in terms of a standalone and kind of like a come down, I thought it was cool. And we got to see more of Baby Yoda in this episode. He was kind of like a little bit more of a background character in episode one. So I thought it was cool for him to have a little step up. I, I, I also, oh, I was just saying, I just wonder, cause it's not IMDb. Can someone tell me who does the cooing for Baby Yoda? There's no voice credited. And that person deserves a big raise. Cause the, some of the noises he made this episode were great. I, I don't know. I feel like Laura Dern once said it was Timothy Chalamet, but I don't think that's actually the case. Um, yeah, I think she was fucking around. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I have no idea, but no, it is it is very good. Uh, we'll find out inevitably it's a 48-year-old man and we're going to feel some ways about it, but impressive. It's adorable. Um, it's going to be Bill Hader again somehow. I'm down for Hader doing it. Yeah, I'm down for Barry getting on that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting. Oh man. So so quickly. Um. Uh, to go over some of the uh, the other Easter eggs. Um. So we see Zero, the android, once again. Uh, the frog lady used him as an interpreter when she was uh appealing to Mando in terms of please save my save my children. Um. That was cool too. Uh. Which I just want to say I I didn't mention this because we didn't talk about season one every episode. I, f I think it's very interesting 
in this, I tell me anyone can tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's fun that the two main droids you meet are played by Taika Waititi and Richard Iwade because I feel like Richard Iwade is the British Taika Waititi and vice versa. <laughs> oh, I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. How about that? Yeah, how about that? That's pretty cool. And even well, like also- Waller Bridge in Rogue One, just yeah, it's, well, in you know. Solo, a Star Wars story, but yes. That oh, I you. think yes. that that is one of the best. Perf- I love that performance. That character who, is L three three seven is unbelievable. Rogue One. Uh, that's Alan Tudyk. Yeah. So again, who's an awesome another icon? Yes. I gotta watch Rogue One again. That's yeah, Rogue One owns man. Rogue One it rules. Tremendous. Shouts to Ben Mendelsohn. Then I just watch the Darth Vader scene. Like I literally will just pull it up. On- I mean, that's definitely the best scene. But I think like so much of it is like it, that movie is just really like it's really slow at the beginning i think that right. like until you get to scarf it's kind of slow but once yeah. you get to scarf it's really like and it is fun. just it's oh man and it's really crazy i mean just as a side it's really crazy how awesome it is given that that's one of those that like everyone talks about how solo was taken away from the directors rogue oh yeah one also, one. rogue one also was but it just wasn't officially but it came out so well. All you have so to well. do is look at Forrest Whitaker in it to know how much oh. was changed. Yo, shouts to him. You want to talk about a guy that is like a Dion Waiters or J.R. Smith performance, Forrest Whitaker. He's like, I'm going to, I have five minutes of screen time. I'm going to put up as many shots as I possibly can. Every, I, oh, you want me to make a choice? I'm going to make 17 choices in this scene. Right. You're do this one. <laughs> Saw, also, shout out to Saul Guerrero. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Saul Guerrero. Also, I, I will say, like, the best thing about Rogue One is that it had a definitive ending. You felt satisfied at the end, even though, like, it didn't end well for anybody. It was a story that had a beginning, middle, and end. It didn't feel like you were left off with anything. Um, it was just very complete, and it just leads you into a new hope, which was really cool to see. Just mm-hmm. I remember the seeing it in the theater for the first time was really cool. But um, let me mention another Easter egg as uh, even though we could not understand what the hell the frog lady was saying, she was voiced by Dee Bradley Baker, who voiced the clone troopers in the Clone Wars and reprised the role of Rex in Rebels. Uh, you Star Wars fans who know the uh, the animated series. Uh, Baker will be back to play clone trooper, troopers in the Bad Batch next year. Um, I, I guess it's another Star Wars miniseries that'll be uh, that'll be coming out. Um, and uh, let me see if there's anything else. The Wookiee behind the bar at the cantina may have been Chow Moon, who owns the place but hasn't made a previous on-screen appearance. Dr. Mandible and the Frog Lady followed in the footsteps or paw prints of the of several Star Wars species that look like Earth creatures, including the Chevin. Shout out to Efant Mon. And yeah, the, the Mandible looks, Dr. Mandible looks just, he just looks like a bug. Like not right, even like right. a little bit like like the frog lady yeah. at least stands on two feet and just like isn't it completely a frog, but that's just a bug playing poker. A big old um, bug. It's it's yeah. yeah. It's um I, I actually have been a big fan of just like the variety of creatures. Uh that has felt very Star Wars to me. But when I watched it, I was like, it's just a giant bug. I actually Tony, I actually don't think he watches the Mandalorian, but famously my good friend and multiple-time pod- failed podcast co-host Michael Springthorpe, guest on the show, <laughs> loves the prequels because he says that the original trilogy doesn't have enough different aliens. And so I think he'd love The Mandalorian because there's a bunch of different types of aliens, which I want to say, I think that he is correct in that the prequels do have more different types of aliens, and that's good. However, that does not make up for the fact they suck. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah. I feel like Springthorpe might be a George Lucas in the making. He, he might be. Um yeah, I, well, it's, I, it's hard to say. Like on on the spectrum of George Lucas to Guillermo del Toro, like where do you? I mean, he's in? definitely not Guillermo del Toro. Okay. I like I could definitely. It's hard to say because whenever I think of George Lucas, you think about making Star Wars. But I think the most defining feature of George Lucas's life is that famously he was in for his gigantic mansion. He was in getting stained glass windows installed, and his wife ended up leaving him for the man that installed the stained glass windows. And obviously, really? Springthorpe is homosexual, so it's, but all the people have to be men. Can I imagine that happening to Springthorpe? Not really. So I don't think he's George Lucas. Okay, but I think when enough, I think of George enough. Lucas, that's what I think of first and foremost, because that is like a defining feature of someone's life. If that if that ha- can happen to you, it's like oof. That's really like that's that says a lot about your character. <laughs> And, uh, and, and yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it in terms of uh, Easter eggs for this week. So we'll be back next week uh, to continue on chapter 11. Uh, we're almost uh, getting close to halfway through, not too far away from that. So it'll be interesting to see how the Mandalorian progresses. 
and uh, we'll be with you every step of the way at Marvel Cinematic University. Uh, Jake Christie, our producer, where can we follow you, sir? You can follow me on Twitter at the Jake Christie. Uh, listen to my other podcast, No Funk and Strictly Unkin, with one Andre Barrera. Uh, we talk about the show Monk. We actually just covered the episode of Monk where I completely forgot this, but it's an episode where Monk gets stuck in traffic because like a murder happens in a car, it doesn't matter. And it just so happens that one of the people he's stuck in traffic with is the band Korn's tour bus. So we had a deep dive where Andre was talking about his experience being friends with a lot of Korn fans, which was a lot of fun because uh, you'd be surprised how much he knows about Korn. Um. <laughs> if you if you lived during a certain time, I think you could have avoided, uh, you know, knowing a lot about Korn. No, I'll tell you this, because every band member appears in the episode of Monk, and Andre named three of them. I can just do Jonathan That's Davis. Impressive. But he right. came up with three Korn. I'm like, what? Anyway, I, you think you know your podcast co-host, and then he's just like, That's a Mikey so-and-so. It's like, okay, that's too much. Sorry, you know. And again, y'all said you said corn, and now I'm hungry again. Well, oh man, it's a, it's a podcast for food today. Oh. Uh, Baby Yoda eating. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, it's, it's about that time. Uh, Jerome Chang, where can we follow you, sir? Uh, you can follow me at Black Dragon Roll, and I will leave you guys. Uh, this just came to my attention uh, from two friends, Kristen Saluma and Thomas Larays. Shout out Mocha Monday. Uh, I don't even think they're gonna listen to this, but I'm gonna just record this part of the episode and share it with them. But if you have a chance, friends, check out the laziness of John Williams during the time of Attack of the Clones and Harry Potter. I'll leave you on that. It's pretty funny. That's exciting. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ACSpotlight95. The next time you will hear a podcast on this feed is later this week. Uh, myself and Stephanie Williams will be back with Marvel Did What. Uh, we will be covering House of M, which is the adaptation that WandaVision will be going to. Uh, we will also preview WandaVision in that show. Um, looking forward to talking about that with her. It's been a while since I've been with Steph, so it'll be fun to get back and talk about that. And of course, you can follow the show at MC University Pod. And uh, yeah, rate, review, subscribe, you know the deal. And um, for Jay Christie, for Jerome Jay, I am Anthony Canton III. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will be talking to you soon. Take care.